having sex with inmates, surely not. But that's not the way they roll at Kempsey Prison, where even the evilest of inmates gets a bit of boom boom. This plus more on True Crime Island tonight. Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Tonight we have a mishmash of stories from all over the place. Some will bring on the rage and maybe others will bring on the giggles. But first up, the rage from last week's episode on Anu Bitchface Singh was really, as Kate A said, right off the Richter scale. I can't read out all the comments, but I will read out a couple. From, and I will keep these anonymous as it is a closed group, So, from Louise, I feel so sick after listening to this. No one, not one soul, stop this self-serving, indulged, spoilt brat at any time. 36 fucking hours, poor Joe. Even if she hadn't dicked around with the address and he was given naloxone, I I suspect he'd have been so deprived of oxygen that he'd be profoundly brain damaged. She didn't give a shit either way. Totally callous. It beggars belief that the legal system was manipulated in her favour. I have absolutely no sympathy for her. Whoever called her a cunt hit the nail on the head. That, That was me. And from Kate A. Again, I've just finished listening. Un-fucking believable on so many levels. Seriously. What piece of shit human beings hear about a suicide pact and don't immediately try to engage both parties and convince them to seek help, etc. Even if you hated someone, anyone with a shred of humanity would talk to the individual and surely, if you felt they were still planning on killing themselves, alert the police or call an ambulance or something. Anything. Sure, people can't always be dissuaded from taking their life, but surely people don't just stand back and say, crack on. Yeah, this case was really fucked up. Not only did Anu Singh get away with murder, but let's not forget Madhavi Rao, who was part of the murder plot right from the start. She was acquitted on all charges. She was with Anu buying heroin and Rohypnols. She took part in learning how to shoot up. She organised guests for both murder parties. She spent her own money buying the heroin that killed Joe. She didn't even try to plead diminished responsibility. Now talking about diminished responsibility, Anu planned this over several months 
through studying on how to commit suicide to organising drugs and how to administer them. She was able to drug Joe with the Rohypnols at the end of both parties. This sounds like someone who is well aware of what she's doing. That is a, what That it is a wrong thing to do, that what she was doing would eventually kill Joe. Even that phone call was calculated to look like she did care for Joe, but she made sure she used delaying tactics so the paramedics wouldn't make it on time. Nowadays, she spruiks she wants to be involved in restorative justice, which is a system of criminal justice that focuses on the rehabilitation of offenders through reconciliation with victims and the community at large. Yet this is another one of her bullshit manipulations of the media to make herself look like she has remorse over what she has done. But she has done absolutely nothing in regards to killing Joe and what it did to his parents, family and friends. How the parole board let her out when she has shown no genuine remorse. The only remorse she's shown is that in killing Joe, it caused problems for herself. She still doesn't accept responsibility for what she did. Look, I could go on and on and on and on about this, but I'll leave it here for the moment. Anu, you're disgusting. I hope that Karma Bus picks you up and goes boom fuckalunga. Okay, next. Sex. They say the best sex is surprise sex. Unless you're in prison. So here we come, no pun intended, to the next story out of Kempsey. Well, it's not exactly Kempsey, more Alder Villa near Kempsey that hosts the Mid-North Coast Correctional Centre, which is a maximum, medium and minimum security centre for males and females. So you'd think the inmates would get a bit toey in there with only themselves to help each other out. Well, apparently not. First, let me tell you about coward punch Kieran Loveridge. He's one of those pieces of human garbage that goes out, can't handle his piss, and with his mates' protection, randomly attacks passers-by that are minding their own business. Yes, he's that guy that you don't want to come across on a night out. Anyway, he was 18 at the time, just out of juvie for being a violent dickhead, And with a few of his mates started drinking and they head into the city. That's Sydney, Australia. Well, they were able to get into some bars and continue drinking and other bars refused them entry. They were down at Darling Harbour and dickhead Kieran was going up and yelling into people's faces. Fucking nice. Anyway, the group caught a taxi up to King's Cross and continued drinking. While pub crawling, dickface Kieran Loveridge saw Thomas Kelly and two female friends who were walking towards him. Thomas was talking to a friend on his phone at the time. Now, Thomas was only 18 and this was the first time he'd come into the city for a night out. 
As you know, we can drink at 18 years of age. So, Thomas and his two male f- female friends had just caught a taxi up from Town Hall train station. So, they haven't actually gone anywhere yet. Out of nowhere, gutless Loveridge coward-punched Thomas, sending him falling backwards and hitting his head on the pavement. Loveridge and his mates ran off while Thomas was left bleeding from the head. He was rushed to hospital, but sadly, days later, his family had to turn off the life support. Loveridge attacked several people that night and would be charged with murder after his football coach dobbed him in days after the attack. He had told his coach the dead kid may have been one of the fights he had that night. Nice. So he tells prosecutors that he'll plead guilty on all counts if the charge of murder is changed to manslaughter. Well, initially he well he's found guilty and initially he gets a term of imprisonment having a non-parole period of four years, expiring on the 17th of November 2017, with an additional term of two years expiring on the 17th of November 2019. The earliest date on which he would be eligible for release on parole would have been the 18th of November 2017. So, not much of a sentence for what he did. Anyway... The total effective sentence, therefore, is one of seven years and two months with an effective non-parole period of five years and two months. (sighs) Justice, eh? Well, the Crown did appeal on the leniency of the sentence and he was sentenced in the the end to an imprisonment comprising of a non-parole period of seven years. That expires on the 17th of November 2022 and a balance of term of three years and six months expiring on the 17th of May 2026. So he can get out on parole on the 18th of November 2022. So this little prick gets just a few years for murdering young Thomas Kelly, who had so much to live for. But anyway, that is the background to this prison story. But wait, I need to tell you about Cop Killer... Sione Pinasini, who was convicted of shooting and killing police officer Glenn McAnally in 2002. Now, he was sentenced to 36 years jail, but without getting into too much detail on his case, basically, Highway Patrolman Glenn McAnally gave chase after spotting Pinasini's stolen Holden Bogendor after 5am in Sydney South. Pinasini hit a traffic island and his car was too damaged to drive, so he stepped out and shot Mr McAnally four times in the head and chest. Pinasini was on parole at the time of the murder. Nice. This is, how many times do we hear this? So we have these two lowlifes, both at the time of this story at the Mid-North Coast Correctional Centre at Aldevilla. Well, in 2015, prison officer Jody Marson was sacked for having an improper relationship 
with 21-year-old inmate Loveridge at the jail. Marson, an Iron Woman competitor then aged 30, was found to have been rooting Loveridge inside the cell he shared with another inmate. That would have been a good show. But what is wrong with these people? Also, while at the Mid-North Coast Correctional Centre, Loveridge ended up being moved to Supermax Prison in Goulburn for allegedly stomping on the head of another prisoner. Right, we really need this cunt getting out in 2022. Anyway, Sione Pinasini. Now, I hope I'm saying your name right. Pinasini. It's actually spelled Pinasini. Was found to be rooting prison officer Amy Connors, who would change shifts to be with her newfound love. She was married as well. I mean, have a look at the wedding photos. They're lovely. I wonder what her husband thinks. These are just two examples from one jail. There are more, but I won't get into all the other cases, the ones from Silverwater Jail. It's usually some real scumbag that's done something absolutely heinous and instead of revolt from these prison guards, they're attracted to them. I mean, what the fuck, people? And what the fuck that they can actually do it? These are just the guards that got caught as well. The stupid ones that couldn't cover their tracks properly. Fuck's sake. It's not a love hotel. It's a fucking prison. But I guess there's studies on people that do these sort of things who hook up with prisoners, especially lifers. I don't know. Anyway. Okay, now we all know that mental health defense gets thrown around a lot nowadays. For instance, we spoke before about Anu Singh getting off on her murder charge because of diminished responsibility. And recently, we've had one of the more well-known shock jocks on Sydney radio, Ray Hadley, who likes the spooky self-righteousness on daily AM radio. Well, his policeman's son has just been allegedly busted buying cocaine. And what did his father say? Well, of course... He's suffering from a mental illness. Great. We have cops self-medicating their mental illness with cocaine. The point I want to get to is that there are people out there who genuinely suffer from mental illness and some are not getting the care they need. On July the 23rd, Indian student Merlin Rathod hooked up with 18-year-old Jamie Dolligai on a dating app and he went to her home. Now, Ms. Dolligai suffers from an extreme mental illness, so extreme that until recently she had two carers with her day and night. Her carers said that she would snarl and try to bite people as she had an acute psychiatric illness and a werewolf delusion. They said that everyone is scared of her. Now, even though she was known to be of extremely high risk to be left alone, her 24-hour care was reduced to carers dropping in on her regularly. So when this student, Morlin Rathod, went to her house on a date... He was allegedly attacked by Dollar Guy 
and ended up dying later in hospital from his injuries. Now, Dollar Guy did post on social media that she was not being taken seriously by doctors when she told them she was sick. She said, If only they believed me when I said I'm not sane. I live in fear, afraid of what's behind the corner. My heart is black. I no longer feel the emotions of happiness unless I see someone else suffer. Demons are real and ghosts are too. They live inside us and sometimes they win. Sometimes when no one is looking, my demon comes out to play. I try and fight her, but she just gets stronger. Now, police, ambulance, doctors and social workers all knew how dangerous she was and she must have been to have had two carers with her at all times, 24 hours a day at one stage. Now, she should have been in some sort of care facility if she was that sick. Dollar Guy didn't just slip through the cracks of the system. From what it looks like, there was a fucking huge hole she was dumped into. Anyway, I suppose that we'll find out the truth later in the year. Dollar Guy was charged with murder, attempted murder, intentionally causing serious injury and recklessly causing serious injury. Now, she's been remanded in custody to appear again on November the 19th and let's hope she's getting some treatment while she's on remand. Now, let's go to a Perth man. And yes, this is another story from Western Australia. Hi to all the listeners out there and please stay safe. Anyway, a Perth man, Ernest Fisher has been jailed for at least 18 years after stabbing his son Matthew to death after an argument broke out when Matthew wanted to borrow his car. Now, after stabbing his son to death, he started to dig a grave out the backyard and as the AFL, which is Australian Football Grand Final, which is the equivalent of the Super Bowl in the US. Jeez, we speak the same language, but I'm constantly translating. So every no, everyone knows what the fuck I'm on about. Anyway, Ernie stabbed his son Matt to death after a fight over Matt wanting to borrow the car. He then started to dig a grave in the backyard when he realised the footy grand final was about to start. So Ernie got his other son, Josh, and daughter, Hannah, to finish digging the grave and bury their brother, Matt, while Ernie went to the pub to watch the footy. Now, after a few days, some of Matt's friends started to worry about his sudden disappearance. But Ernie assured him he was fine and had gone over east with a chicky babe. Eventually... His friends called the police and questioned Ernie. Ernie kept up the story for about an hour and a half when he finally broke and told detectives that he'd killed his son about a month before and buried him in the backyard. He went on to say his son was a complete and utter asshole and that his son was violent and abusive towards him, describing him as a little terrorist. He also told them that although killing his son was not a pleasant sensation, 
it was the right thing to do and continued to describe his son in a very derogatory way. He also told them the knives he stabbed his son with he bought specifically for the purpose of killing him. So things were not well in the family home. So Joshua was sentenced to a maximum of four years in jail, while Hannah was handed three years and eight months. If they get parole, they could be out by the end of the year, as they've been locked up since being arrested. Ernie won't be out for a while, and this won't be the last dysfunctional family story I'll be bringing you as well for sure. Now, another story from Western Australia. Thieves have stolen a sewerage truck and used it to suck up gold-rich concentrate from a gold mine in Kalgoorlie. Kalgoorlie. Okay, now, this sewerage truck is huge and bright blue, so it's going to be hard to hide as it would stick out like dog's balls. It was owned by a company called Sewers, which is S-U. EZ, just like the Suez Canal. Funny, huh? Anyway, now the sewer truck is full of gold instead of brown and the cops have no idea where the fuck it is. Now, Kalgoorlie is in the middle of fuck fuck and all they do there is dig shit out of the ground. So a bright blue sewer truck driving around should be easy to spot. Now, according to abc.net... Lifelong resident Doug Dawes, who managed the Kalgoorlie gold refiner in the 1980s, said it was one of the strangest gold heists he's heard of. I've never heard of anything like it in my life. It shows a certain level of invent- inventiveness and it just goes to show gold has an allure that transcends all classes of society. Everyone wants a piece, even if it doesn't belong to them. I remember, even with all the checks we did at the Mint, we still had one fellow who was stealing gold. Mr. Dawes suspected the bandits must have some knowledge of the gold mining process. This product, from all accounts, if the story is correct, is in sulphide form and that has another level of difficulty. You would have to think the scoundrels... I love that word. You would have to link you would have to think the scoundrels who have perpetrated this crime have had some thoughts, knowledge, or believe they have some way of processing it when people in the industry find it quite a difficult task. It would be interesting to see whether they have those sorts of skills or whether it's something they have dreamt up over a beer. Now, I reckon, hey, let's steal that sewer truck, we'll suck some gold up and we'll fucking be rich. I say, boom, fuck a there is gold in them there hills. Or turd truck, WA must be a fun place to live. Okay, next, we've come to a bizarre story about the Momo game. Now, I'll post a photo of the Momo bird woman thing, and it's really fucking creepy. It's some sort of Japanese thing. It has a woman's distorted face with bulging eyes, fucked up hair, and freaky looking mouth on some sort of bird body. But that's not the creepy thing I want to tell you about. In the same vein as Slender Man or even the elevator game I told you about in the Eliza Lamb episode, 
The internet has reported deaths from people who have played the Momo game via the WhatsApp Messenger app. So, I hear you say, what is the Momo game? Well, I'm glad you asked. It usually starts out when you add or message a Momo-associated contact on your WhatsApp app. You are then sent a disturbing photo and a set objectives you must complete. If you do not respond, you're threatened that Momo will appear at night or curse you. It gets hold of your personal info and contacts and threatens to dox you. That, that is where they give your address out to the internet or threatens to hurt your friends and family if you don't do what it says. Eventually, after completing all the tasks sent by Momo, the player is then encouraged to commit suicide and FaceTime it to win the game. By this time, the player has been so traumatised by the constant threats of violence that apparently some kids have taken their lives. A 12-year-old girl from Buenos Aires and an 11-year-old boy from Argentina may have been playing the game before they committed suicide. Now, there was the Blue Whale game a couple of years ago that was similar in that it made players perform tasks over a period of 50 days, with the last task on day 50 to commit suicide. It may have been responsible for the deaths of around 130 teenagers in Russia. Fuck's sake, it's not funny, well, not Tide Pod funny, so Islanders out there, it is a bit of a wake-up call to make sure you know what your kids are doing on the internet as it can be a very dark place and it's full of dodgy people, unlike True Crime Island. Okay, so to round out the show, this is a story from a while ago, but I think it's a good one to finish on. Now, I'll read this out from the Huff Post. Woman claims sexual style assault by restaurant's pee-pee doll. It really didn't have a wiener, but you got the point, says Isabel Lassiter. Isabel Lassiter has a beef with a Japanese steakhouse in Tennessee, where a chef sprayed her in the face with a pee-pee doll in what her husband called a sexual-style assault. Lassiter said she and her family were dining at the Wasabi Japanese Steakhouse in Murfreesboro on Monday, when a chef produced a plastic doll resembling a little boy and pulled his pants down. A thin stream of water spurted from a hole located in the doll's genital area and hit Lassiter in the face, she said. She wasn't happy. He pulled his little shorts down and it had a wanger and he squirted me right in the face. Restaurant... (laughs) Restaurant manager Johnny Wang said the goal is a common part of the show patrons get at dinner. Chefs use it to control flames on the hibachi, he said. The kids like it. They think it's a water gun. Lassiter's husband, James, called the spring. It was a sexual style assault on my wife. The couple called the police and filed a report. The episode happened... In front of our minor children and grandchildren, James Lassiter said. 
And then his wife, Isabel, said, It really didn't have a wiener, but you got the point. James Lassiter said the lack of a dick isn't the issue. Just because someone cut off a piece of plastic, okay, it's not there anymore, doesn't change the fact that you're getting peed on. Now, police haven't filed any charges, and even if they did, it's unlikely they would stick, according to Los Angeles-based criminal defense attorney Adam Sostren. As far as I can tell, there was no sexual assault made by the obnoxious, yet marginally entertaining toy at the Hypatium restaurant. (laughs) Nor should any humans be found criminally culpable. Now, the restaurant wants to avoid pissing off other customers. It has instructed employees to ask for consent before spraying people with the pee-pee doll. There you go. So, that's the end of the show. And it's time to shout out to all the new Patreon people. And there are a few this week. Thank you so much to Lynn Batolo and Rose Fusik. I've got to be very careful saying your name, Rose. If you can tell me if I've said it right, please. Anyway, Lindsay Berteo, thank you so much for your support of the island. Don't forget, on the $10 and $20 level, after three months, you get to choose a mug or T-shirt of your choice. A mug for the $10 and a shirt for the $20. There's stickers for all $5 Patreons. So, you too can help out the island for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island and get on board. But if you don't want a monthly commitment, you can also donate via PayPal at paypal.me forward slash true crime island. If you email me at cambo at truecrimeisland.com, I have stacks of koozies, keychain stickers and lapel pins that I can post to you for a donation amount, which all depends on postage and the likes. All other merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs and the like is via the shop at truecrimeisland.threadless.com. And there's a new item in the shop, the Mug of Rage which can also be had on shirts and other stuff, the official True Crime Island Mug of Rage is now available. Get one and be the envy of all your office fiends, office friends. Anyway, a big shout out to Lindsay and Jennifer. You know who you are. There are links to everything at the website truecrimeisland.com. And now, this is totally a listener-supported show, as I know how annoying those ads can be. So every cent goes back to the island, and it is greatly appreciated. But you don't have to spend money to support the show. You can rate, review, and share the love. Tell someone about the show, and if they don't know what a podcast is, grab their phone and hook them up. Now, I did check... Uh, I didn't actually check the iTunes reviews because I really haven't got anything iTunes to log into at the moment. But I did notice on another site which tallies them up. Now, I think I got about 305 star. Thank you very much. A few four star, a few three star, a couple of two stars and a couple of one star. So I don't know what the one stars say. I don't know. There's a few of them there, but I'm not going to read them. Anyway, don't forget to join the closed book... The closed group on Facebook, hook up on Twitter and Instagram. The handle for those two is True Crime Island. 
and just search for the Facebook group by typing in True Crime Island. Our amazing mods or myself will let you in and hide a Jason and Senga. So, tonight I have a promo from Baz at Extraordinary Stories Podcast. I did run it a while ago, but I thought I'd run it again, as in an upcoming episode, you may hear someone familiar, but I'll leave that for Bazza to announce. Anyway, give it a listen, it's a great show, all the way from sunny Scotland. A big shout out to Torhill Buckle Kelly, please let me know if I pronounced it right, and Jason said if I did, he would send me a case of beer chank. Well... That's about it for tonight and lots of love to Maggie James. So this has been Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boomfuckalunga. How are you? Do you like an extraordinary story? Do you like a Scottish accent? Well, you're going to love Extraordinary Stories podcast. Join me, Barry Henderson, as I walk you through some of the craziest stories you will ever hear. The stories I tell, they can be true crime, survival, sex, identity, obsession, love, and everything in between. They can be shocking, heartbreaking, funny, or dark. But they're always, always real. So, get yourself into Extraordinary Stories Podcast. Thanks.